You're listening to Leading and Learning. This is the place where we talk about practical leadership, theology, fitness, how to create winning habits, and so much more. My name is David Spell, and I'm a retired police officer, a pastor, a New Testament scholar, and a leadership coach. My goal on leading and learning is to help you live your best life. Thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome back to Leading and Learning. This is episode number 405. Why is Acts of the Apostles still important? You know, when you read your New Testament, the first four books are the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each each one of those is written to a specific uh, and different group of Christians. I've, I've written on this. I've talked about this. We'll probably cover it again in a, at another date. But um, the, the, the very placement of the Gospels at the beginning of the New Testament is very important because it's establishing the fact that the life of Jesus, His life, His ministry, His, His sacrificial death, and His resurrection are really the most important things in history because they lead ultimately to mankind having uh, the ability to return to God. But then after these four books, these four the, the, the four Gospels, we have the Acts of the Apostles. And, and, and really, I think this is one of those books that um, it kind of goes through different periods in church history where we, we focus on it and then we forget about it. And we focus on it and we forget about it. But really, it's one of the most important books in the entire Bible because it bridges the, the Gospels, the, the life of Jesus, and then the, the growth and the spread of Christianity, but really the growth of the church as the, the organization, if you will, that God was going to use to continue working throughout the world. And so what we see when we look at the Acts of the Apostles, essentially what we're looking at is the first 30 years of church history. And we're going to get into it a little bit more over the next couple of episodes, but we see the 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 gospel of the Holy Spirit, if you will. We saw the gospel of Jesus, uh, the life of Jesus in the gospels. But now when we get into the Acts of the Apostles, now we're looking at the, the gospel of the Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit continue to work in people's lives? In other words, what is Jesus's, uh, how does Jesus' ministry continue now that he's no longer physically here? And that's where the early church comes from. And we see the, the birth of the, the church in the, the book of Acts, and then we see the, the spread of Christianity. We see, um, and, and we also see the fact that it's much more than just um, some men going out and being successful and getting people to listen to them and believe what they had to say. It really was a work of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to do a bit of a deep dive into the Acts of the Apostles. We're going to talk about why it's still important. Um, I want to give you a bit of background on the book of the Acts of the Apostles. But before I do, I want to let you know that this episode of Leading and Learning is brought to you by my book on Acts, uh, you know, shameless plug. Uh, the, 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 my, my first book actually was Peter and Paul in Acts. And this is a study of Acts. It's a handbook on Acts, but we focus particularly on the apostolic ministries of the apostles Peter and then the apostle Paul. 
And, and really, these were two, the two most eminent apostles in the early church. It's not to say the other guys didn't do incredible work. They did. But uh, Luke chose to focus on those two men and what they did to take Christianity and to see it spread throughout the world. So check out Peter and Paul in Acts. It's, it's a great read. It was my, actually, it was my doctoral dissertation. And I've, I've you know, tweaked it a bit, made it a little bit more readable. But um, not only do you get a great introduction into Acts, and, and, and a guide to what Peter and Paul did and how they spread Christianity. But also, we, we get, I give you an introduction into the Gospel of Luke because the same author wrote both books, the, the Dr. Luke. And um, when, you, when, you, when you look at the, um, the, the template that he used for writing, it's fascinating. So, so by all means, check this out. It really should be on every, every Christian's bookshelf. It'll really help you as you read Acts. It'll make it come alive, and it will give you some great background. So... Peter and Paul and Acts, click on the link. I know you'll love it. All right, so background. Background on Acts of the Apostles. First of all, let's talk about the author. We just mentioned Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke. We know he's a doctor because Paul says he was a physician. I think this is in Colossians 4. He refers to Luke as a physician. And in the language that Luke uses when he's talking about anything medical is very technical. Um, he's clearly a very educated man. His his, his, his language, his, his use of Greek. Um, I think he has the largest vocabulary of any other, other author in the New Testament. So he's a very educated man. Um, finding out that he's a doctor actually just kind of fits right in with, with uh, what seems to be indicated in his education and his, uh, his fantastic writing. He just uses a beautiful Greek text. It flows beautifully. And, uh, and again, when he describes medical incidents, he's, he, he's the guy who gives you the, the background and some technical information there. Um, we know that Luke was also a, a friend and team member with Paul. He actually traveled with the Apostle Paul. We don't know if Paul actually led him to faith. We don't know that. <clears throat> but what we do know is he and Paul work very closely together. He was an eyewitness to many of the things that happened. There's a couple of sections of Acts where it goes from... Um, third person to first person. It goes from they did this and they went there to we did this and we went there. So he's very clearly a part of the team, um, very close to Paul. Paul even uh, talks about Luke being with him uh, towards the end of his life. Uh, he was a faithful friend. I think it's in Second Timothy towards the end of Paul's life. He says, only Luke is with me. And this is while Paul's in a jail cell. So Luke is obviously the guy who's, who's taking care of him and ministering to him while he's in jail. Another thing about the author that's really interesting is he's a pastor. <clears throat> he writes like a pastor. He, he, he speaks like a pastor. It's very clear that, that Luke cares about people. And this is in his gospel, and this is in the book of Acts. Now, we know specifically he was a pastor in the, in the city of Philippi. Uh, we know that because, the, as we just said, the, the, the narrative changes from a we narrative to, to a they narrative. In other words, um, we're, we're in the city, we're here, and then Paul, they and his, his team, uh, left. And, and, and we find out from, from reading the text, this is in Acts 16, that Luke probably stays behind for, we don't know, a year, two years, three years, it's hard to say, but he spends some time, probably a few years, as the lead pastor of the Philippian church that Paul founded in Acts chapter 16. And this makes so much sense because, again, 
when you read uh, the way he writes in Luke, um, when you read the things that he writes about in Acts of the Apostles, he's writing about things that that pastors would be concerned about. Uh, people with needs. How did Jesus meet these people's needs? How did <clears throat> God, through the Holy Spirit, meet people's needs? And so you see a, a, a caring man and, and really a pastoral heart as he writes his book. And you see this throughout his writings. And when you put put it all together, it's a, it's a pretty big chunk of writing. So, um, you know, we know the author was a doctor. We know he was a friend and team member of Paul's. And we also know he was a pastor. Now, what about the audience that he was writing to? Obviously, there was a specific audience that Luke was writing to when he wrote the Acts of the Apostles. And, and he, he mentions a man named Theophilus, and this was probably the guy who funded the book. I mean, um, today you can publish a book for next to nothing if you use some of the free publishing tools that are available. Uh, but in that day, uh, uh, papyrus was very expensive. Uh, publishing a book would have been a very, very expensive task. And so it's quite possible that Theophilus, who, who Luke refers to in chapter 1 of, of the Gospel and in Acts, is the man who funded the work. We don't know that, but it's as good a guess as any. But we do know that Luke was writing to a a non-Jewish audience. It's very clear in his language and in the things that he emphasizes and talks about. He's writing to to, uh, Greeks and non-Jews with a background in idolatry. Um, You see this referred to over and over again. And it would have been something that his audience would have understood well. He, he takes time to explain some Jewish practices because it would have been important to know about them. But it's very clear in the references as he makes <clears throat> to philosophy and, and, and literature and politics even that this was, he was writing to a Greek audience who um, uh, were just coming to Christ. And so that's probably who, who, who made up the church that uh, he, he was a part of when he was writing this particular book. And then the text itself. We always want to look at the author, the audience, and the text when we're looking at a, at a, at a biblical book. And when we look at the text of, of the Acts of the Apostles, <clears throat> what we find is when you take the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles and you put them together, as I said, it's a big chunk, it's actually 25% of the New Testament. 25% of the New Testament is made up in Luke's writings. And so this is a chunk. And as we said, he uses the same template that he uses in his gospel. One example is the, 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 the way the Holy Spirit is, is seen. You see the Holy Spirit moving in the ministry of Jesus and in the Acts of the Apostles, you see the Holy Spirit moving in his men. You see um, Jesus reaching out to the down down and out. You see him taking time to, to reach out to people who, who might have be, been considered marginalized. You see in the Acts of the Apostles, the Apostles themselves reaching out to beggars and people in need, people who were, would be considered marginalized. There's example after example. We also have the, 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 the beautiful um, example that Luke tells us. He gives us an example. He tells us how he writes. What is his process? And this is, I'm going to read from the uh, Gospel of Luke. 
And this is the first couple of verses in the gospel. It says, Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated from the beginning, I also have decided to write a careful account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. So, so he tells Theophilus a little bit about his writing process. Uh, eyewitness accounts. Uh, some of these accounts are circulating. He probably was able to interview the, the apostles. He was able to interview Mary if she was still alive. Uh, you know, so you, you get these, these vivid accounts that come across very clearly as eyewitness accounts. There were probably some written accounts. Uh, every indication is he, as well as Matthew, used Mark's gospel as their primary source. Um, as far as we know, Mark's was the first gospel written. And when you read uh, Matthew and Luke, it's very clear that, that, that they took Mark's gospel as maybe a starting point and then added to it. Uh, Luke clearly added a lot of his own own information, things that he had developed, but that just gives us an idea of how he wrote his gospel. So the author, the audience, and the text. Now, some of the key people, you know, we're talking about why is Acts still important? Well, it's still important because some of the key people in this incredible book are people that we still talk about in church life today. Peter. I mean, everybody. And I don't think there's a pastor on the planet who hasn't preached a sermon at some point on Peter. You know, he, he's the guy who we can all relate to. He was quick to speak. He, was, he, he stuck his foot in his mouth a lot. He was impetuous. But, but ultimately, he was also a man who helped change the world. He denied Jesus three times. And yet, he came to Jesus and, and asked for forgiveness and was able to, to continue forward as this incredible apostle. Uh, Stephen, the first martyr, he stood up for his faith and, 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 was, and ended up being put to death for his faith. Philip the evangelist, you know, we all know the great story in Acts 8 of him going down to uh, Samaria. He was one of the first ones to take the gospel to Samaria and see a, a great revival there. Um, James, the brother of Jesus, became the leader of the early church in Jerusalem. Now, this is a guy who didn't even follow Jesus. His own physical brother, half-brother, but still, they were brothers. They grew up together, and yet when Jesus was here on earth, James did not follow. He was a scoffer. He didn't believe. And yet Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus appeared to him after the resurrection. And so after that, after his own personal meeting and visitation with his brother, who he realizes is the Son of God, that's got to be an awkward conversation. Uh, he, he ends up leading the early church, navigating it through some very interesting times. Of course, John, we, we, know the, the, we see the Apostle John in, in, in the Acts of the Apostles. And his brother James, you know, his brother James was, was the first of the twelve to be put to death for their faith. Um, not, not James, the brother of Jesus. James, the brother of John, was the first of the apostles to be put to death for his faith. Faith. And then, of course, um, we have Paul, probably the most dramatic conversion in all of history. Acts 9, if you've never read it, Acts 9 is the, the, the easily the most dramatic conversion in history. I mean, light from heaven, uh, heavenly appearance of Jesus to Paul, 
It wasn't just him, but everybody saw or heard something. Everybody who was with him actually participated, not in the fact that they had a vision, but they heard the light, they saw something, they saw the light or heard something, and and it changed Paul's life forever. Um, he, he was a, a Christ hater, he hated the church, and yet through this incredibly dramatic conversion event, uh, he came to faith in Christ. So now that what I want to do is we're going to just start, and, and we'll kind of probably go for, I don't know, a couple of weeks looking at why Acts is still important. Well, you know, one of the reasons that Acts is still important is because of the the incredibly powerful themes that the authors cover. Um, what What is the mission? We're going to start off with the mission. Um, why is Acts still important? Well, Acts is still important because it gives us our mission as the church. Now, I get it when Whenever I talk about the church, you know, people who aren't church kind of look at me like they've got a little throw up in their mouth. And I, I understand. I mean, people, I mean, look, I've had bad experiences in the church as well. The reality is the local church is still the hope for the world. That's where Jesus is embodied in his people and he works through his people, the, the body of Christ. That's what the church is is and is meant to be. Have they made some mistakes? Absolutely. Well, anywhere you get people involved, there's going to be mistakes. But listen to this mission that Jesus gave his followers. And they ask him, this is after the resurrection. This is right before Jesus ascended into heaven. And the apostles kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? They were focused on earthly kingdom. Jesus was wanting them to understand there's a heavenly kingdom that's coming. And Jesus replied and said, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So this is the, 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 the theme, the, the mission, if you will, that Jesus gave his followers 2,000 years ago. So now, when we look at the church around the world, are we still pursuing that mission of being his witnesses throughout the world? I mean, I see, uh, I see churches, I see Christian ministries involved in humanitarian and social projects. That's incredible. It's very, very important. I look at a, a ministry like Samaritan's Purse and these guys are always the first on the scene in any kind of crisis in the world, a famine, an earthquake, a natural disaster, even in the cases of war. They're there to serve in the name of Jesus. My church supports the Samaritan Purse. I've supported them. Uh, an incredible ministry. So humanitarian and social projects. I'm involved in a program right now in Africa with working with schools and and, and it, it, we want to bring these schools into the 21st century and help these children to get a, these students to get a great education. Um, and so, so there's just so many great things that, that, that churches can do. Humanitarian social projects um, are very powerful and very important. Um, what about mass evangelism and individual evangelism? You know, these, these are really... Uh, when you look at it, just literally what Jesus said, he said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, 
and the uttermost parts of the world. And so, so ultimately, that is what we're supposed to be doing is doing evangelism. And, you know, Billy Graham was kind of the, set the standard last century for, um, you know, being the evangelist, going into cities and holding these mass crusades and helping people find Christ. Other evangelists have done it throughout the world. I've been involved in some of that. But whether it's mass evangelism or if it's individual evangelism, it really comes down to if somebody gives their life to Jesus, now what? And Billy Graham had a great follow-up ministry. They tried to direct people into a local church, but it often didn't work. And uh, I'd be curious to know what the percentage is of people who have stayed true to the faith. And then we're... We're still talking about our mission. We're talking about this this idea of of strategy, and I think number three is really what we see in Acts. Number three that we're about to talk about in, in Acts is really where we see this mission outworked, and it's in church planting, church planting, making disciples. Jesus said, "Go and make disciples of all nations," and and what you see the 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 early apostles doing, and what's worked throughout history is planting great local churches in a community to have an impact. Because great local churches can do things that an individual can't. And a great local church provides a setting and a context for people to, to grow as disciples of Christ. Um, in, 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 in the Acts of the Apostles, we didn't see guys going out just starting a ministry and just doing humanitarian stuff. That's nice. But again, what are we going to do with people when they come to Christ? Mass evangelism is great. Individual evangelism is great. But what are we going to do if someone accepts Christ? In the context of the local church, we can do all of these things. Now, the thing we have to remember is every local church can't do everything. And that's why it's so important that each pastor and leadership team find what are we as a church able to do? What are we able to focus on? My particular church, we've got two or three things that we focus on and we do pretty well. And other churches I know are focused in other areas, and they do them really well. And so it's finding out what you're able to do. Now, this is so important because we think that having a, some kind of ministry is, 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 is really where it's at, when in, when in reality, um, having an individual ministry that's not supported by a local church really doesn't help a whole lot. But when you've got a great local church in a community— People can come in and, and, and build community. They can make friends. They can see their lives transformed in the context of that local church. And, and we'll wrap up with this. As we're talking about our mission, what is, what is our message? What is our message? I mean, are we preaching that, um, you know, be a good person and, and everything will work out? Um, are we preaching that you can believe whatever you want and everything will be fine? Are we, uh, are we just trying to be good people? What, what is the message that each church is conveying? And in the early church in Acts, um, Paul or, or Peter declared in, in Acts 4.12, he said, there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And he's talking about the name of Jesus. <clears throat> he said, there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Um, and, and that's offensive. The truth can be offensive. But... That's what the, the early church taught. That's what the, the church has taught throughout history. The message may change. You know, we, we, we may change the way we do things, but that the methods, but not the message. The message hasn't changed in 2,000 years. You know, it's never too late to adjust our strategy and to adjust our mission. 
Um, local churches should constantly be evolving, not in a bad way, but in a good way. Again, the message doesn't change, but our methods do. Maybe our focus, where we're putting our resources. How are we helping fulfill this great commission of, of, of making disciples of all nations, planting great churches, and seeing the gospel spread throughout the world? Well, I'm going to stop there. I've got a few other points to talk about on why the Acts of the Apostles is still important. I'd love to hear from you. Go to davidspell.com, leave me a question or a comment in the comment section for today's post. While you're there, make sure you sign up to get my free newsletter so that we can stay in touch. Well, friends, click on the link for Peter and Paul and Acts, and I will see you next week on Leading and Learning.